Glad you have joined us this morning. As Jess mentioned earlier when she was welcoming everybody, we are coming to the close of our Solid Ground series. We have one more week. Next week will be the last week. We'll put the cap on it with the last thing Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but we're kind of, what Jesus is getting to in the sermon is sort of landing the plane, okay? And he's, he's land. I did not plan that. I did not hire a pilot. You, you plan it. Jess planned it. She plans everything. Yes, yeah, so we did not hire a pilot to fly over at just the right moment. No. Uh, Jesus is, he's landing the plane on the sermon. Everything he's told them, it's a lot to swallow. I mean, it's really challenging what Jesus has said so far in the Sermon on the Mount. We've spent the last, I don't know, 11 or 12 weeks covering this. It's a lot, and it's very controversial when you look at it in the face of our culture now and their culture then. And so it's a lot to take on. Jesus is really with the sermon answering questions that people have about this kingdom that he's been talking about, this kingdom that's coming. How does it work? And how do you get in? And like they have all of these questions and they've seen him doing miracles and they're buying into it and they want to understand. And so that's what this sermon is really designed to do is to explain to them what the kingdom is going to be like, how to be successful in the kingdom, how you're a part of the kingdom. And so he's been going through all of that and it's really been hard for them, really been challenging for them. He's trying to break in them a lot of misunderstandings or the way, if you think of it this way, the way they've been programmed to think by the leaders that they have around them, the spiritual leaders, the Pharisees and other people that are around, they've been programmed to think a certain way and he needs to reprogram, deprogram and then reprogram to prepare them for the new operating system, if you want to think of it that way. And so he has to recode their, their mind. So he's teaching them how to, he's breaking this superficial law-based, arrogant, judgmental, self-righteous religion that they have seen, and he needs to prepare them for what's coming. He's pointing them ahead and saying, you need to stop focusing so much here on this world and getting for yourself treasure or riches or accolades or whatever else here, and you need to turn your mind and your attention and your hopes and joy forward to the kingdom that's coming and understand how it works then and be living now for then. And so he's trying to prepare them for that with the sermon. And he's gone through so much stuff that is so challenging. And nothing in this sermon has been easy. Nothing in this sermon has been easy. Because it all flows against the course of our own life. <laughs> and I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, the best things in life are often the hardest things anyway. You know why that is oftentimes? Why are relationships so hard when they can be the best thing in life but also the most challenging thing in life? Well, the problem is sin. The problem makes the good things hard. It makes them unnatural for us because sin is our natural disposition. Sin is the reason we have to work so hard to get what's good or to find what's good. And what Jesus is talking to them about and what we see throughout Scripture is the fact that God wants to transform our minds. He wants to, re, in a way, reprogram the way we think and the way we feel so that sin is no longer our natural disposition, but that we learn to walk in the Spirit. And in walking in the Spirit, the good things sometimes, well, <laughs> I don't want to go too far with this, but they become a little bit easier anyway, even though they are still hard. And Jesus wants them to know how to get this. How do you do, I mean, looking at what, things to be careful of, and how do you embrace this? We need to be transformed, and he wants his listeners, those people that are actually sitting there right then listening to him, to be transformed as well. 
And so we're going to uh, step into the middle of uh, what we have, what we know as chapter 7. So Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we started with the first part of chapter 7 last week. We talked about um, judging, this issue of judging. How do you judge? Uh, Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged, right? And so people love to take that and use it uh, well, against Christians often. And they say, well, Jesus said not to judge. And it's like, well, there's more there. <laughs> it's not exactly what he was saying. Uh, what he said was, judge not lest you be judged. For with the judgment you used, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So be careful about judging. Because if you use a bucket, they're going to use a bucket. If you use a teaspoon, they're going to use a teaspoon. So be ready when you step in. And then he talks about the plank in the speck in the eye and not to judge someone for the speck in their eye. When you have a plank in your own eye, first deal with your plank, then help them with the speck. But yes, then help them with the speck, which means pointing out the speck, which means judging. Uh Uh-oh. Yes, we are supposed to judge. We're just supposed to do it rightly and humbly and not hypocritically. Okay, and be ready because when you point out the speck in their eye, they're going to look to your eye to see what's there. So you have to be prepared for that. All right. But anyway, he's talked about all of that. And we're going to pick up in verse 13. And really what he's doing, by the way, and for those of you that haven't been with us, when he talks about this judgmental attitude, when he talks about praying in front of people in order to be seen, to get praise and accolade from them, and he says, great, you got your reward, but you don't get heavenly reward for that. All right. He, what he's doing really on a bigger level is trying to get them to see the difference between what they've experienced and seen as spiritual examples, in their case, the Pharisees, And not all of them were bad, by the way, but the majority of them were off track, off focus. And he wants them to see that what they've presented to them, what they're teaching and what they're modeling for them is not the right thing. It's not how the kingdom is going to work. And he wants them to see the contrast between him and the Pharisees. All right. So he says this. He's starting to to land the plane. Um, uh, Matthew chapter 7 in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. How do we enter? It provides, it's almost like two Two paths, two options. This is a very common communication technique for uh, people at the time. You see it throughout the Old Testament. But he talks about two gates. And one is wide and one is narrow. What is the wide gate? The wide gate that leads to destruction. Now, when I think about a wide gate that leads to destruction, I have a tendency to jump all the way to the extreme and think about, like, evil people who are sinning and they know they're sinning and they don't care. Okay? Or they, they, they refuse to believe that God exists. They refuse to believe that they don't want to be good. They just want to get as much for them as they possibly can in their life. And I think those are wide, that's wide gate people. But I don't really think that's what Jesus is talking about. I think that the wide gate is um, sneakier than that. It's more innocent than that. It's more appealing than that in many ways. See, the evil people who are doing evil and they know they're doing evil and they don't care about God or don't recognize him, they don't think they're, earning, they don't think they're going to heaven. They don't think they're going, they don't think they're going to uh, light at the end. I think the wide path is made up of people who believe and practice self-righteous spirituality. 
wide path people are good people, spiritual people in some cases. But the problem is that they're not entering by the right gate. They're trying to go in a different way. They're trying to take what they think is the easy way, the broad path. When Jesus just said, no, the gate is narrow. The gate is narrow. Self-righteous spirituality. And this is most people. Most people enter or try to enter by the broad gate. Being good enough, being righteous enough, being holy enough, doing enough religious things in their life, giving enough, serving enough, volunteering enough, loving enough, caring enough, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good person, get myself above the line, and that's the way. That's the gate. What a shame if you spend your entire life trying to be good enough only to find out you never stood a chance because there is no way that we can be good enough. There's no way that we can earn our way to God. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none of us that can be good enough, righteous enough, holy enough, do enough good things to stand before God and give an account of our life and measure up to his standard. It's not possible. And so people who spend their entire lives trying to do that so they can earn a spot with him, that's the wide path. And ultimately, it leads to destruction. So what's the narrow gate then? If it's not being good enough, because that's what you might think. You might think, well, wide path, that's sinning. But, but this narrow path, does that mean being good enough? Getting your life right enough that you can squeeze through that narrow gate and make it through that way? No. What's the narrow gate? The narrow gate is Jesus. The narrow gate is Jesus. Not righteousness, not righteous living, not good works. It's Jesus. Uh, Jesus said that he was going to be going away, and, and he told his disciples this is later on in his ministry, and he told them he was going to be going away and that they could go to where he was. And, and Thomas, we hear a few times in Scripture, Thomas says this. Uh, this is John chapter 14, verses 5 through 6. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's it. That's the way. That's the narrow way. You come through me, and that is all. Now, this this is one of the biggest criticisms people have of Christianity, one of the criticisms. They They say, if Jesus is the only way to be saved, Isn't that narrow? Isn't that exclusive? Yeah, Jesus said so himself. (laughs) He said, he said, this is the narrow way. But it doesn't make it exclusive, by the way. It actually makes it more inclusive than all of those other religious systems that are out there. Because Jesus may be narrow, and there may be few that find it, and Jesus may be the only way, but that gate is wide open. That gate is open to anyone. Anybody can put their faith in Jesus Christ without any sort of spiritual resume at all, can put their their faith in Jesus Christ and enter by the narrow gate. So yes, it's narrow, 
But it's the most wide open gate there is when people hear about it. And I don't know where you're at in your life or your relationship with God, but if you thought that you had to earn your way to God, let that go. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus for salvation, he died on the cross paying for your sins, and he rose again on the third day. And if you put your faith in him for salvation and believe that he saves you right now, he does, he will, you enter by the gate. Now, we got a path of faithfulness ahead of us where we want to please him and learn how to live like Christ and all of that ahead of us, but you are saved if you make that choice. That's the narrow gate. you got to choose that gate, not the wide gate, not the broad one that leads to destruction. Yes, it's narrow, but it's open to everyone. We enter by the gate through Jesus for eternal life, and then we walk in the way of Jesus so that we can have life now and experience life now, the way he designed it for us. In John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking, and he puts it this way. John chapter 10, verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He's the gate. He's the door. He's the way. I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I'm the door. And he's the one who cares for the sheep. The problem that that the people who are listening to Jesus at the moment when he's giving the sermon have is that they're being led by people who don't care for the sheep. They are people who care about themselves. Like I said, not all of them. I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but in general. But Jesus is the good shepherd, and Jesus cares for his sheep. That's not the case, and he needs them to see that. He needs them to understand So as he's continuing in his sermon, he says this. He talks about the paths, and then he says this in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Specifically, he's trying to get them to see the difference between him and and these teachers, these teachers. Uh, What's a false prophet? Well, a prophet is someone who says they speak for God or speaks for God. A false prophet is someone who says they speak for God, but they don't. <laughs> okay? They speak for themselves. And so you have to watch out. And you need to be able to, and listen, everybody in the room, listen, me, you, all of us, we need to be able to tell the difference. In a world right now where we are inundated with media constantly, Newspapers, television, news, social media. They're like people are teaching us constantly. And we have to be better than anyone has ever had to be at discerning the difference between who truly speaks for God and who does not. Who is a wolf and who is a sheep? And Jesus is going to explain as, as we continue on here, he's going to explain how to discern that and how, what to look for. And I, I want to kind of go on record as we're starting this off, okay? Last week we talked about not judging, right? When you j- pronounce judgment, it will be measured back to you, all right? 
I, I told Jess, I said, I'm nervous a little bit about this message because I don't want it to sound judgmental or angry or anything like that or whatever. But I am a little frustrated and angry with spiritual leaders, leaders in our culture and in our world that are influencing people, thousands and millions of people, and it's very frustrating to see it happen. So I don't want to be judgmental, but it does need to be called out. So all I'm going to say is whatever measure I use over the next few minutes to judge other people, I won't give names, but to judge other spiritual leaders, just go ahead and use that back on me. Run me through the same filter I'm running them through, and that's fine. I can deal with that and handle that, all right? Hopefully I pass that filter. That's <laughs> All right, but I can handle that. And if I don't, I need to know, okay? So specifically, he's talking about these leaders that they're following, people that speak on God's behalf. I think when we think about wolves, by the way, we tend to think about someone who's malicious, you know? Because we think about an angry, like a wolf just being mad and angry and snarling and growling and all of that. Um, When we think about wolves, we tend to think about people who are doing wrong and they know they're doing wrong and they don't care. They're just in it for themselves. And those people are certainly out there. But Jesus, those would be wolves dressed like wolves. (laughs) Jesus is talking about wolves who look like sheep. I was thinking about... um, wolves in general, this analogy, I don't want to run too far with it and say anything that Jesus isn't saying, but I was thinking about wolves, and the truth is, wolves don't want to hurt sheep because they hate sheep. They're not maliciously out just attacking sheep and leaving them to die. Wolves attack sheep because they're hungry. Wolves attack sheep because they have a need that they need to fill for nutrition, for sustenance, for food. But they don't have any conscience about eating the sheep because they don't think that eating the sheep is wrong. It's just all they know to do because they're acting out of their natural instinct. So I was thinking about that with regard to false prophets. I think there are many, many people who exist in the world as spiritual leaders on some some level, wherever that may be, whatever the platform may look like who are out there and they're doing it and they are consuming their followers for their own benefit, but they don't think that there's anything wrong with that because it's just the natural thing for them to do. And it's because sin is still pervasive in their life and driving their decisions and actions and mentalities and they don't see what's wrong with that yet. And so there are people who are unconsciously consuming their congregations and followers. So that makes it a little harder to discern who's who. It makes it harder to discern who's who. How do we know? How can we tell the difference? This is what Jesus says as he continues to speak. Verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grape from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit and bad tree, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by your fruits, you will know them. So to tell the difference, we need to look at their fruits, which might not be that helpful. 
for us unless we know what kind of fruit we're supposed to be looking for. <laughs> I think I was thinking about this because um, uh, if you if you if I go to the grocery store today um, and I'm in the produce aisle and I'm standing in front of the avocados. All right, you are I love avocados. All right, but if you find me in front of the avocados, I will stand there and I'll look at them and I'll pick up an avocado. And I'll look at all sides of it, and I'll give it a squeeze and maybe even a little bit of a sniff, okay? But I have no idea what I'm doing, okay? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what a good avocado looks like. <laughs> I'm only doing that because I've seen other people do that. I don't, I don't really know. I squeeze it, and I, it's soft. Is it supposed to be? I don't know. Is it supposed to be soft? Is it supposed to be firm? Some of, them, some of them are green and some of them are brown and some of them are in the middle. I just go within the middle. I figure that's safe. You know, I don't really know what I'm doing. All right? And let's not even talk about tomatoes. I have no clue. Okay? Just is it red? Looks red. You know, I don't know what I'm looking for. So Jesus says, by their fruits you will know them. What's he talking about? How are we supposed to, what kind of fruit? And this can be so confusing because we can easily be assessing the wrong kind of fruit. What often happens, and this has happened for me, and it's happened for so many other Christians, is that we think that the fruit Jesus is talking about is the produce of their ministry, the effect of their ministry. But that's not what it is. That's not what it is. The fruit that Jesus is talking about is not the the level of attendance of a person's church, how many people go there for a service. The, the, the fruit Jesus is talking about is not how many books they've written. It's not how many followers they have on social media. It's not how many ministries they have within their church or how, how much they do overseas and in international missions. It's not how many salvations that they record within their church. It's not how many people get baptized in their church. That's not the fruit he's talking about. I know that because of what he's just about to say. <laughs> That's not the fruit that Jesus is talking about. So don't be deceived. Just because someone has all of those things as the result of their ministry does not mean that they're bearing good fruit. Those are good things that are happening, and Paul talks about that later. What do we do with that? But that's not the fruit that he's talking about. Jesus is not talking about the product of their ministry, but the product of their heart. It can be difficult to discern this, but this is where we need to get good. This is where we need to trust the Spirit to lead us, to show us what good fruit looks like and doesn't. I know it's not attendance and salvations and all that kind of stuff because this is what Jesus says as he continues. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. We'll explain that in a minute. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, influenced so many people on social media in your name, built tremendous organizations in your name, dug wells all over the world in your name, sent missionaries in your name. Didn't we do all of this stuff in your name? And then I will declare to them, this is verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, 
you who practice lawlessness. These are people who have tremendous outward ministries, but they don't know Jesus. The fruit that we're supposed to be looking for is people who know Jesus. What does that mean? What does it look like? Let me give you, I want to give you a couple of things. How do we tell the wolves from the sheep? What are we looking for? First thing that we should be looking for, and there may be other things. I just want to give a, give a couple to, to help create a filter for us as we think about teachers or leaders or influencers who may be in our lives. Paul talks about when he's writing to the churches in Galatia, identifies several things he calls the fruit of the Spirit. Meaning when you are walking with the Spirit and allowing God to transform your heart, your mind, your life, your attitudes, and all of that, when you are walking with Jesus, here are the things that will come out of you. So if you're looking for a filter, if you're looking for something, this is part of it, okay? The fruit of the Spirit. And he gives a list here, but it's not an all-encompassing list, but it's pretty comprehensive. It covers a lot of ground and creates a good filter for us to look at our own life and say, is the Spirit transforming me? But also to look at someone else and say, is that a wolf or is that a sheep? Let's look at whether the fruit of the Spirit are what is coming out of their life and walk with Jesus. And he says that the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Look for these things. Again, I don't want this to, I'm not going to use names or anything, but there are people in our world and our culture who claim to be speaking on God's behalf in whatever role or position they're in. And if you just take that list and you look at their life and their ministry, something ain't right. Because they are not loving or kind or patient or peaceful. Now, nobody's perfect on this list. Jesus is perfect. We're going to struggle. We're going to have things here that we deal with and we're working on always. But if you're in a position of spiritual influence and authority and are taking that position and you're missing on half of that list at least, there's a pretty serious problem. So I think this is a pretty, this is a simple filter that we can put someone through and say, are they those things? I know people in ministry, there's, there's, there's a few, I've got, people will send me like videos and stuff from other, <laughs> other churches and messages or whatever else. They say, can you believe this? I can't. I really, I mean, I can, but I can't. Where you have a spiritual leader who is angry and hateful and shouting and screaming and condemning and, and gets all worked up and, and they're, they're shouting, <laughs> all this stuff. It's like, they, it's like they wear it as a badge of honor, like it's part of their brand, you know? And people eat it up. 
They eat it up because it taps into their own anger or their own frustration or their own irritation or their own judgment or whatever. And because that pastor, that spiritual leader taps in and says that anger, that hatred, that judgment, that impatience, that frustration is okay because I'm showing it to you right now. All it does is spin people up into the same thing. That is not the message of God. The spirit, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you uh, are following a leader or allowing someone to influence you, and they don't measure up to that, and this is following the the leadership of the Spirit and ask Him to show you what's true and what's real and all that, because this can be hidden too, but ask Him to lead you. And if you look at that list and you yourself are attempting to be those things, you want the Spirit to produce those things in your life, don't follow a leader who's not. They say they speak for God. They do not. They are not behaving in the character of Christ, which is loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind. So that's one filter we can look at. But it's not just that. Because I, I can think of uh, spiritual leaders that I would consider, based on my own assessment, wolves in sheep's clothing, who do, I would hold them up against that filter, and they fit. You know, I, there, there are some very, very well-known pastors and teachers that I think are false prophets but they are loving and kind and gracious and peaceful, and they, they, I would say they're all those things. So what is their error? It should be someone who is bearing the fruit of the Spirit, somebody who is bearing the fruit of the gospel. Jesus says, he says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. What's the will of the Father? In John chapter 6, Jesus answers that. In John chapter 6, he says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. What's the will of the Father? The will of the Father is that we would accept Jesus. That we would be saved. That we would enter through the narrow gate. Those who Jesus knows. Not those who do the most religious things or who put on the best spiritual show for everyone around them. So how might we know a wolf even if they appear to be presenting the fruit of the Spirit in their life? They are not true to the gospel. They are not true to the message that Jesus is the only way, that he is the narrow gate. I can think of pastors, very well-known, highly respected, internationally known, thousands, millions of followers, who on character basis, if I looked at the fruit of the Spirit, I would say, yeah, I think that they stack up to that. At least it appears that way. But they do not teach the pure, true gospel. They teach that on either side of the equation, they either teach that there are multiple ways to get to heaven, that Jesus is not the only way that every, it's like a, it's like a mountain everybody's climbing up, 
right? Everybody's climbing up, and who, you, you, they're all different sides. We're all just going to the peak, and we're all climbing up different sides, right? Which is totally contrary to the message of the gospel, which is, by the way, which is you can't climb to the top. I don't care what side you're going from. But Jesus came down, okay? So that's the message of the gospel, the good news. Jesus came down to get us and take us. So um, uh, teachers, false prophets who say they speak for God, but they're telling people that there are other ways to get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. Well, you have to call Jesus a liar in order to say that because he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. He said, I am the door. He said, enter by the narrow gate. And so it's only through Jesus. But on the flip side of that, there are also false prophets out there who say they speak for God, but they're not because they're teaching people that it's not just belief in Jesus, that there's more you have to do, that you have to take this step or that step or give this much or serve this much or you have to whatever, perform this rite, this ritual, this sacrament, whatever, and that's not true. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, that's it, whoever, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He is the way, the gate, the door. And anybody who believes in him for salvation can receive it. And so if you're looking for filters, and there are probably other ones, but this is where we have to listen to the Spirit. We have to listen to him and allow him to lead us and give us discernment. But if we look at someone who's a spiritual leader and they are, they do, their character does not match that of Jesus, that's a wolf, so just stay away. And if you see someone who's a spiritual leader but is not teaching that Jesus is the only way and that it is by faith in Jesus alone, be careful. <laughs> Stay away. Be very careful of the influences that are around you. Jesus is looking at, at these sheep that he wants to shepherd, that he loves and he cares for. And he wants them to see the difference. And it's not just the difference between him and the Pharisees, by the way, because Jesus is going to give his life on the cross. He's going to be resurrected. Then he's going to return to heaven. And the church is going to begin. And false teachers are going to come into the church just like they had at the time. That's why a lot of the New Testament has to deal with identifying and weeding out these false teachers that are in your midst. Jesus. wants you to know him. I know we need to think through those that are influencing us. But ultimately, it does come back to us and who we are going to be and what we are going to do and how we're going to walk. If you look at Jesus' analogy, he says that there's a, there's a gate and there's a path. And we can go through the gate and accept Christ. Walking the path is difficult, though. And it's not a matter of whether we're going to be saved or not, but it's a matter of whether we're going to enjoy the life that he's given to us and how faithful we're going to prove to be to him. And that's hard. So we need to, we need to ask him to be producing the right fruit in us, to be changing us through the Spirit inspiring love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, among many other things, in us, to transform us. 
and to remind us constantly of the good news, the gospel that we stand in and stand on. That we are saved by Jesus Christ, by faith and faith alone. And that every single day we need to wake up and say, continue to change me, continue to transform me, continue to guide me. And that's very challenging and very difficult because it means, it means stepping away. It means stepping away from our natural desire, natural propensity to sin. And it's to instead walk in the Spirit. Those are hard decisions every single day. But the more and more you do it, the easier and easier it gets. The more and more you do it, the more you walk in life, the more you appreciate and enjoy walking in life, the more you want to walk in life, the more and more and more you walk in life in faithfulness and grows. And so if that's the journey you're on, then be very careful about any leaders or teachers or anyone else that would teach you or show you anything else and make sure that they are on the same path that you are on. You know, when I, when I read this particular passage, there's, there's a piece that stands out to me. And Jesus says it in the negative, but I think about myself and think about it in the positive. Jesus says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this, do this, do this, do this? And he'll say, away from me, I never knew you. The joy to me in that is the thought of Jesus looking at me and saying, I know you. And accepting and receiving me. I know you. Not based on anything you've done, not based on your work, not based on how much you did or how little you did or how public it was or how private it was, not based on anyone else's scorecard of you or anyone else's assessment of you, but I know you because you accepted me. And then in the wake of that to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Based on how I've served him and been faithful to him and everything, every bit of effort and energy I've put in, whether that's public, private, or whatever else. But for Jesus to look and say, I know you. So beautiful. So beautiful. And so as we, Jesus brings this message to a close, next week we'll, we'll cover the, the final scriptures as Jesus talks about how you build, how you build your life. Whether your life is built on a shaky foundation or on solid ground. Whether it was built on selfless or selfishness or pride and arrogance and sin. Or whether it was built on him. And I think as we're preparing for that, as you're meeting in groups this week and you're talking about this issue that we discussed today, uh, I want to encourage you to kind of be moving towards that idea in your own uh, prayer time, in your own devotional time, in your time with your group this week, to be thinking about, even as we discuss this and the influences and everything that we have, what foundation am I building on? What is my life being established on? Is it worldly things? Is it what, the, is it what everybody tells me it's supposed to be built on? Or is it built on what Jesus says? It's supposed to be built on. Only you can answer that for you. And you need to trust the Spirit as He leads you and speaks to you and guides you and shows you 
where you've been on solid ground, where you've been on shaky, and what he wants you to do. It's all because of the gift of Jesus, the sacrifice that he made for us, the victory that he claimed in his resurrection, and the relationship that he has with us. And so I want to close today with praying, and then we're going to sing a song, and the song is about Jesus. There's even a, there's a little section in the song where we'll be doing some instrumental stuff and there won't be any singing. And I want to encourage you during that song to use that as a time personally of worship. To commit yourself to him and your love for him. And maybe that's something where you feel like you are loving Jesus really well right now. And you just want to reaffirm that and use that time. Maybe you feel like you haven't been loving him well. And this will be a time where you can recommit to him, express your love and your care and your devotion and your worship to him. All right. But this should grow. The scripture, yes, it's talking about wolves. This is talking about false prophets. But the goal of the whole thing is that Jesus is looking down at these sheep and he wants them to know him. And so he can't stand the idea of anything else that would take them away from that. And so he's trying to keep them focused on what matters and to listen to the right voices and the right influence, and that's him. So let's go to him in prayer now and commit ourselves to him and prepare to sing. Father, we thank you so much that you sent your one and only son, that any of us that believe in him don't need to perish, but we can have eternal life. Thank you for that. Thank you that we can know you, that we can love you. You are not a God sitting on the top of a mountain just waiting for us to earn our way, climb our way to you, but that you love us and you came to us. You sent your son to us. There's not a single one of us that deserved that, not even for a second. You didn't do it because we deserve it. You did it because you are love. And in your great love and kindness, you sent your son here. And Jesus, in your kindness and your love, you gave your life. raising again on the third day gave us hope. To know that simply by believing and trusting and putting our faith in Jesus for salvation, we can be saved. And then in your love and kindness, you gave us the Spirit. He teaches and guides and comforts us, empowers us, and leads us. Thank you. We would be lost without him. We choose the narrow way. For all of us, who are walking with you, Jesus. 
It's difficult at times when sin rears its ugly head and comes back up and wants to lead us and guide us. We understand that there are people in the world, some ill-intentioned, some good-intentioned. They say they speak for you and they don't. Help us to see that. Maybe more than that, God. There are sheep in sheep's clothing that we want to learn from, that we want to follow. Help us to see that as well. That together we would we would work together to follow you. As you shepherd us, as you guide us, as you teach us, as you encourage us and you empower us. Help us to continue walking faithfully. That we could, in some measure, offer back to you the kind of love that you've offered to us, give to us. Jesus, we want you to know how much we love you, how thankful we are for you. for your sacrifice, for your ongoing leadership in our life. The power, the hope, the joy that we find in you. love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.